Some of you may know that I love knitting. I love knitting. It's been my hobby for two decades already. I began with making a baby blanket for my firstborn. Seemed like a neato thing to do. And um, I didn't follow the pattern very well. It had all kinds of mistakes in it. And I remember on one particular occasion near the end when I was supposed to pick up stitches around the edge to knit, that I was trying to put the already knit yarn on my knitting needle. And it was really hard. And I was forcing it with all my strength. And I thought to myself, you know what? 80-year-old people knit. And I am here in my 20s. And um, I'm doing something wrong. If, not, if my 20-year-old strength can't make this work, then something must be wrong. So I have become a student of knitting. And I am enamored by what can be made with two sticks and a piece of string. That's all that it is, two sticks and a piece of string. And the possibilities are endless. I've, I've gotten magazines and seen all that you can make. You can cover your entire body with things that are knit. You can even make drapes or dust ruffles or blankets or pot holders or washcloths or towels. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. And I'm fascinated by it. I just can't get enough of it. I even learned probably 15 years ago how to hold the yarn in my left hand because I read somewhere that you can knit more quickly if you held it in your left hand. And I thought, I got to do that because there's so many things that I want to make that I'm going to learn how to make more. I love knitting. I love what can come about from two sticks and a piece of string. That's really all that it is. And I'm so glad that I have a hobby that can be transportable because that's really the only way I've ever gotten any good at it. You will never hear me complain about a long car ride, a long airplane ride, a long conference. None of that because I can take my knitting. 15 minutes in the doctor's office waiting room, an orthodontist appointment once a month. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. If I got to wait because I'm in the parking lot, no problem. I'm fine. I have my knitting. Someone said to me once, oh, you, got, you keep so busy. I said, oh, no, I love this. And I'm just fortunate that my hobby is transportable. You know, think if it was woodworking or um, golf. You know, you can't take those in the car. You can't wait for an airplane with golf. You know, you have to just give it up. So I've gotten somewhat good at it because I've been able to practice it so consistently. And because I love it so much, I find places to tuck it in here and there. And I've got little bags on a shelf of different projects that I'll grab when I go out for 15 minutes. Just delighted to feel the yarn in between my fingers and to watch what comes about from two sticks and a string. Have I said that already? Two sticks and a string. I've discovered that God is a knitter. It says it in Psalm 139, this beautiful psalm, which I hope that you will commit to memory. And maybe you can write it down real quick. Psalm 139. A beautiful psalm of being known by God. I find that a delicious psalm where it talks about, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I think, wow, is this what God does? Make something from such barbaric or simple instruments, two sticks in a string. And so I was captivated again by our collect appointed for today on this Feast of All Saints. You have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship 
in the mystical body of your Son, Christ our Lord. What's God doing with us? What has God always been doing with us? How is it that God takes such simple things, humanity, and makes something bigger and more elaborate than we could ever imagine? Just as what can happen from two sticks and a string. This past week, as you know, I'm pretty sure you heard, it was the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's challenge to the the established church, the Roman Catholic Church at the time. And when he challenged the authority of them by stating quite explicitly what he thought were errors in the way that the church operated, in particular, the selling of indulgences. I'm fascinated by how that probably came about. It would have been something that started off as a fine thing, but kind of snowballed into something that then you could see the unethical nature of giving people permission to buy their way out of sin for the hope of forgiveness. I mean, it's wrong on so many levels. But for a while, people thought it was fine until Martin Luther challenged it. That Reformation began in 1517. But Martin Luther wasn't the only one, and it wasn't a brief experience. I did a quick Google search on history.com to get a little synopsis of the dates. I feel like I can trust them for that. (laughs) Protestant Reformation began in 1517 with Luther hammering his 95 thesis to the door, although history says maybe he didn't really nail it there. But then it began and moved over to Switzerland in 1519, and Calvin took up the matter in 1541. So already you can see that almost, well, 25 years had gone by, close to 25 years. The counter-reformation of the Roman Catholic Church responding to Martin Luther's thesis and the dialogue that happened after that They began that in 1545, so already it had moved through Germany and through Switzerland, and finally the Roman Catholic Church decided they needed to say something in response. And then when Queen Elizabeth took reign in England, she took up the matter too, but she didn't even start until 1559, and she proposed the middle way, a way that wed the Anglican, I mean the Roman Catholic and the Protestant understanding. So this went on for a long time. Think 1517 to 1559. A lot of people were born and died in between there. People who had undoubtedly been a part of the beginning of the movement didn't live to see the end. We know that there were many people that were part of the Reformation, but Martin Luther, just in this little bit of information, in between 1518 and 1525, he printed, published more writings than the 17 most prolific reformers combined. Hear the truth in that little sentence. Not only did he use the printing press to get his thoughts out, which is a novel and crazy idea, but there were at least 17 more reformers that were a part of this conversation. What does it mean, they said, to be the church now these days? How have we fallen into error? How do we need to be purified? The big emphasis on the Reformation was that people could engage Scripture themselves and that it was put in their hands and they could read it in their own language. This was radical. And we think nothing of it now, having grown up with this reality. I mean, I couldn't even be standing here in front of you 
if it weren't for the beginnings and the, what followed after that. You wouldn't find a pew Bible that you could actually read if it hadn't been for that. Think of how we make such assumptions now on the life of faith that we have that we didn't realize people had fought and died for in their desire to see that God was bigger than what even the church had claimed God to be. I'm reminded that Martin Luther wasn't really a saintly guy. I mean, he had some really good points and he was, real, and he was willing to go into the ring for them, that's for sure. But we see in some of his writings such an anti-Semitic nature that we say, oh my gosh, that's horrible. But what is it that God does with us? What is it that God does with people in their fragile state? You know, as I mentioned, I love knitting. And so I look around for things. I'm looking always for some yarn because you can't knit without yarn. And I am always delighted when people say, can I buy the yarn and then you make it? And I say, yes, you can, because I love knitting and it's not a very cheap hobby, unfortunately. So I came upon this little packet at a tag sale a few years ago. It was in its plastic um, package. And judging from the picture on the front of it, where models were showing you what kind of sweater you can make from the skeins of yarn included, it had to be from the late 1960s. Undeniably. And the yarn was still all in there, and it included a woven piece of fabric in matching, so you could have a skirt made to go with your cardigan. And I thought, oh, I would love to have that. And the whole package itself was 20 bucks. $20 for this wool, enough to make a cardigan, and a woven piece of fabric to make a skirt to go with it. I mean, I couldn't lose. So I bought the package. And I'm not very good at knowing how much yarn is needed for a particular project. And it is frustrating to get to the end of your project and realize you don't have enough yarn. That's not a fun way to go. So I decided to embark on something that I thought might work. And as I was working with the yarn, which this is a portion of the skein, I came to see that the outside parts of the skein, let me see if I can find it here. I loosened it up for myself. Yeah. The outside parts of the skein, which is this, what you see here, was somewhat fragile, and it could break. And I didn't realize that until I had already used one whole skein. So here I had done a lot of hours of work, and I was trying to decide what to do next. Do I unravel it and make something new? Um, do I risk it and leave it in there? I went and consulted some knitters to see what their thoughts were on the matter. And, you know, they were like, well, you know, maybe it'll hold up, maybe it won't. And I tried to find in my knitted garment where I had used that part of the yarn, and I pulled it real hard. Because I thought, if I'm going to wear this, I don't want to get a hole in it the first time I wear it. So I pulled it really hard, and it didn't break. And this is part of the beauty of knitted things. The strength that is afforded the garment because of the way that it's looped together becomes far more than what you see in one single piece of yarn. This is true over and over again in knitting. If you're tight on one row, you can loosen it on the next. It'll work itself out. It's responsive. 
You might have some knitted garment that you actually don't like that about it. It gets dented or it puckers or something and it's movement. But again, what does this mean when we reflect on it in a prayerful way? What is God doing with us knitting us together? Look how God used Martin Luther to do something for his collective body, not only for then, but for now too, 500 years later. And he was an imperfect man. What might God do with us and our imperfections? I like to imagine that. Us as the yarn woven, I mean, um, going through God's fingers. God taking these tools, a couple of sticks, and us, and working us together in a knitted garment. Our lives are inextricably linked to one another. None of us became Christians on our own. None of us. We've inherited it from generations past, and we build upon that, and it makes possible things for us that we couldn't have discovered on our own. When I think about people 500 years ago, and what they did, and even all those in between, and how my life has been blessed by their commitment and trust in God's hands, I wonder what people will say about us 500 years from now. There's a belief in the church that another reformation is underfoot. This has been a conversation for at least a couple of decades. Well, at least that's how long I've been paying attention to it. It was already there when I started noticing, and it's been 20 years that I've been listening. It's believed that it seems that every 500 years or so, a change needs to be made. You think about the, the um, council at Nicaea, which Constantine led or was a part of, that established the church as something that was, could be protected by the state. That was in the mid-300s. Then in 1054, I think it is, the East and the West, those churches split from one another, with Rome being the center for the Western church and Constantinople being the center for the Eastern church. Then 500 years later, there was a Reformation again with what we're referring to now, Martin Luther beginning this movement of letting the Bible speak as an authority and making it available to God's people. The printing press made that possible. And you can study the development of Protestantism across this land over the years that people were moving further and further west. More and more developments. Are they perfect? No. But they're what God works with. And I'm struck then by that on this All Saints Day. We'll remember people in the prayers at the altar that have gone on to be a part of the eternal fabric of God's work. We will make a new Christian at the 10 o'clock service, promising to raise her in the faith. We'll be making that commitment, knitting her into the body of Christ. And we will make decisions that will make possible the future of faith in the world. We've made this our Consecration Sunday, again, another symbol of our commitment to trusting God to use us. We can't always see the final product, but that should not limit our trust in God's use of us, in our brokenness, in our imperfection, in our feebleness, in our, in our limitedness. 
I put the garment that I'm working on with this yarn in the back and hope maybe that as you pass by there, if you're interested, you might take a look. It's pretty intricate, the work that I'm doing with this yarn. Um, again, thank goodness it's a transportable hobby, so I could actually have a hobby. But I don't want you necessarily to notice that unless it reminds you of what God can do with us. This doesn't seem like much at all. But when it is employed with two sticks, it turns into something far more than what you could imagine. We are the same. When we trust our lives in God's hands, God works in us and through us and with us in ways that we cannot fathom. We become a part of something bigger that we never would have imagined. That is the invitation in this prayer, this reflection of God as a knitter, binding us together with cords that can't be broken because it's in our relatedness that we find our identity, our place, and God will work with whatever God has in its feebleness, in its simplicity, in its limitedness, in its brokenness, in its imperfection. God will work with that. So as you consider today how you are a part of this ongoing fabric that God is making in the world now and in the future, I hope that you will find an opportunity to place your hands again, your life again, in God's hands. And let God work with you. Let yourself bend to what God is inviting you into in response to God and to one another. In the conclusion, I want to pray again the prayer that's appointed for this day. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son, Christ our Lord. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen.